Care with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to this episode of the Robohub podcast. Today, we'll be hearing about a socially assistive robot for older adults named LEQ. With technology developing faster and faster, it can be difficult for older generations to keep up and benefit from the opportunities that new technology has to offer. Specially designed robots for elderly people try to deliver modern tech in a way that is user-friendly, intuitive, and that can help older adults stay active, engaged and connected. An example of this is LEQ, an assistive robot from the brains of Intuition Robotics. LEQ is designed to be a friendly, intelligent and inquisitive presence in the home. Much like the Amazon Echo or Google Home, the system is voice controlled and allows users to set reminders, play music and connect to their family and friends. Unlike the Amazon and Google systems though, LEQ was specifically designed with older people in mind, with functions such as setting reminders for appointments and medications and support to read and respond to messages featuring prominently. Our interview Audro spoke to Dor Schooler, CEO and co-founder of Intuition Robotics, about the motivation for LEQ, how it infers context and changes its behaviour accordingly and how it adapts over time. All right, we're recording. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Would you introduce yourself? Yes, this is Dor Schooler. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Intuition Robotics. Would you tell me about what motivates your work? Sure. Um, at Intuition Robotics, we set out the company with a social goal of helping older adults stay active and engaged so they avoid, avoid loneliness and social isolation. But we also had a technology goal, and we started about three years ago, and we wanted to do something that was impossible to do until that exact moment in time. Uh, we were very inspired by <clears throat> working with um, um, Guy Hoffman, uh, who's an HRI researcher at that time at the MIT Media Lab and IDC in Israel, now at Cornell, and seeing how motions and behaviors of robots can actually affect real emotions and behaviors of humans. So we were really fascinated to see if we can combine that with um, the technology which just became available, which was high-quality sensors and perception sensors, sensors such as NLP and computer vision. Yep, and NLP is natural language processing. Yes, um, so how we can use things like na- na- natural, <laughs> natural language processing and computer vision uh, that just became really good became as good as human um, um, capabilities to um, create a brand new type of interaction. And we thought that focusing this effort on the elderly um, can really help. So, Gotcha. And would you describe your LEQ platform? Sure. LEQ is the sidekick for happier aging. And it is, there are a few things you should think about it when you think about her. First of all, it's a proactive platform. And I think this is the first system, if not one of the first systems, which is truly proactive, meaning the end user can talk to it like it would to an Alexa and say, Alexa, play music. Mm-hmm. But she can approach the user as well. And, you know, that's really new. Uh, we're not used to a computer or an AI talking to us. 
randomly, right? Mm-hmm. Not because we set a timer that at 12.05 it should, because it decided to talk to us. And of course, for us to accept that, we had to create technology um, that will break down barriers. And those barriers are context and decision-making. If you're going to allow a machine to talk to you, it better understand the context. Who's at home? What's going on? What have we already done today? What do you know about me? What have we done before? What's going on outside? All of those things. And then it should make a decision based on goals that I bought into and weigh those goals to create the right decision in the right time. Meaning, is this the right time to interrupt me? And if so, should I suggest an activity about going for a walk or listening to music or maybe taking my medication or maybe just doing something fun or maybe sharing a picture from the family, right? Like all of those things are possible. Which one should it choose? So those are, so yes, proactivity. One thing that's really important underlying that is context and decision-making. The second thing is multimodality, the ability to interact with the user, not just by speech, but by this highly choreographed combination of speech, movement, lights, content on the screen, sound effects that are orchestrated to be a single expression, almost like an animation short. The third thing we found is an underlying persona. Um, And this might be obvious for people in the field. It's really not obvious to most computer science people we talk to. But (laughs) what we found is, especially when you add proactivity, humans have zero tolerance for machines to fail. A machine needs to be correct all the time. But guess what? When you're proactive, you make mistakes from time to time. You might get, might get the timing wrong. You might suggest a wrong thing. So adding a persona, and what I mean persona is not the persona of the user, but the persona of the AI, a character. Think Bugs Bunny or Hello Kitty, but of course it's our own character. Um, that allows us to, on one side, get a lot more endearment from the user, but on the other side, actually beg for forgiveness and get it back, receive it. And some of the most exciting feedback we got from our beta site is that users are proud of their LEQ for succeeding where in the past it failed. So that to us is a a great way to turn a bug into a feature (laughs) by a great underlying persona. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, so we've described kind of the function or like the core beliefs that have created LEQ. Would you describe what LEQ looks like? Sure. So LEQ, of course, your your listeners can go to Mm -hmm. uh, LEQ.com, E-L-L-I-Q.com. What they'll see is almost like a lamp-shaped entity and uh, that sits on a tray and next to it is a tablet that we provide. And on top of the tablet are two cameras that give us the ability to do computer vision. That entity is different from what a, the way a lot of roboticists um, create their entities. She has no eyes. Mm-hmm. She has no face. She has no human um, capabilities whatsoever. She does have a matrix of LEDs hidden behind plastic in the front part of it and also on the top of its crown. Mm-hmm. Um, she has three degrees of freedom that move beautifully, um, also silently, in very slow speed because we use uh, brushless motors mm-hmm. for that. So there are three different brushless motors and all kinds of custom hinges and hooks and stuff that we had to build. Um, but that gives you like this beautiful fluid type of emotion. 
um, Harman Kardon speakers, a four mic quad, a quad mic with noise and echo cancellation, and then we have the, the tablet and the camera. And the, what we wanted to make sure is that the entity is always there, and therefore the screen is separate. Because for kind of the magic to remain, when you show content on the screen, if the entity would have been an avatar, she would have disappeared. Mm-hmm. So this way, the entity is there. She can interact with the content. She can look at the pictures you get from the family with you and mm-hmm. actually comment on them. But the entity is there mainly as an animation of the interaction and to allow for body language. The reason we thought it's so important is only about 10% of human communication is verbal. Mm-hmm. The rest is nonverbal. And instinctively, we understand that. Subconsciously, we understand that. So if in addition to apologizing when she got something wrong, Eliki also bows down and dims her lights, you you understand without even listening to her what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if you have a message from your family and she's like bouncy and happy and lit up and the screen is showing message from Bob, you know, you, of course, you'll also provide voiceover, but you instinctively understand what's going on with the system, which makes it for much easier communication, especially when we deal with the elderly who have a much harder time to use the newest technology than the other portions of the population. Yeah, sorry, this was a long answer to a short question. Ah, But it's good, it gives us a sense. And just to describe it a bit explicitly, um, it it, it reminds me of one of those candlesticks from Beauty and the Beast. Kind of. This is how I've been thinking of it. And it has, it looks like it has two degrees of freedom of movement. It has kind of the ability to move its head forward and backward, but also to tilt its head. Is that correct? It has three. So it has those two, but it also has a pan on the base of the robot. Oh, you're right. Yes, of course, a pan one. Okay. And then you have a camera on top of its head. Correct. And And then you have a camera. You have two cameras on top of the tablet as well. Okay, is that just how the ca- tablet came, or is there any reason for no, having No, 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 the two cameras are our perception cameras, so they're yeah. always on for oh, computer okay. vision. And the camera on top of the head is what we call the interaction camera, and we use that for video conferencing. So she will follow you as you kind oh. of uh, have a video conference, gotcha. but the ones, um, we also wanted to have separate hardware for computer vision, which is always on, but done locally, not connected to the internet, where the one on the with the head is uh, essentially... Um, and. Yeah, for video communication. So it does have internet connectivity. Gotcha. And so what kind of things can LEQ do? Yeah, so um, there are a few buckets. And remember, for all of these things, she can either be proactive, meaning she, she, she suggests it to you, or you can request it from her. <clears throat> and um, the goal is to help people stay active and engaged. Okay, Because once people become lonely and isolated, um, their health deteriorates. In fact, Stanford and the AARP came out with a study a few months ago equating the health risks of loneliness and isolation to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But if we can keep people active, then they push out this deterioration, which means we have to help them with a holistic set of capabilities to help them thrive and stay active and interested in their communities and connected to their families and so on. So first bucket of, of features is around communications. So um, we work with instant messengers to allow the family to send a, a message, an emoji, a picture, what have you, to, to their loved one, and it magically appears. They don't need to have an app on their phone. They don't need to even tell us anything. Aliki will tell you, hey, you have a picture waiting. Do you want to see it? You have a message waiting. She reads it to you, karaoke style. 
and then um, she will solicit a response from you and send that over. Of course, we do uh, video conferencing as well. So well, that's one bucket. Second bucket is around um, engagement. So how can we help you stay connected to the world and curious about the world? So LEQ might wake up and tell you an interesting fact. Usually, by the way, humor is great. We really try to make sure people smile once a day at least. Um, so she might tell you something uh, kind of a humorous fact like, uh, hey, Audro, did you know that the giraffe is the only animal that can lick its own ear? usually causes a bit of a smile, right? And that could lead to a follow-on activity like um, uh, suggesting for you to see an interesting nature show, right? So we also curate videos and according to topics, and she will suggest interesting videos to you, which refresh from time to time. Again, keep you curious. Uh, we do news, weather, um, music. Music is big. Music is really, really big. So we have a few um, radio stations that we curate with a channel, with a channel partner, um, and, um, yeah, um, um, of course, things like cognitive games and, uh, and so on. The, the, third, the third category is around helping you with your ADLs, with your activities of daily living, which is to help people stay active and independent. So LEQ will suggest for you to go for a walk, to do breathing exercises, stretches, to take your medication on time, of course, um, to drink water. Hydration is really important, and people forget about that. Um, so those type of activities. And then we have a monitoring set of features, which are opt-in. The older adult has to turn them on. But if they do, we can share with their loved ones how they're doing. Um, you know, last time uh, we saw them, uh, if they're active this week relative to last week and so on. So that's it. That's what we do. A lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to go back and talk about some of the things you've said how does LEQ understand context? So for us, um, the important piece is sensor fusion. So we have multiple classifiers of computer vision, and then we have speech, and we have additional sensors, and we keep on adding more. And each one of them uh, might be really good at telling us true or false for a very specific thing. Right? Is there a person in sight? Do I know that person? Is there an object in front of me? How many people are in the room? Did you say something? What did you say? Um, we also use what we call internet sensors, which is a fancy way to say internet lookup. <laughs> what's the weather outside? What's the time of day? Okay, what's going on outside? Is there an event? Right? We fuse all of those things together, and that gives us kind of a transient uh, context of what's happening right this second. We then put that on the timeline to understand state. Because it's not just what's happening right this second, but what has been happening over the last hour, over the last day, over the last week. Mm -hmm. Can you get me? Can you give me an idea of how that works to understand state? Like, how do you represent past states in the environment? So you have information like who has been here, what has been the weather, what events have there been, what have they done over the day? Yeah. Um, but then, how do you connect their past? Is it? Um, is it simple encoded logic? Like if they've already walked today, don't ask them to walk again. If they've had visitors, ask them how it was. Or is it more complicated? Um, what do you? How is it implemented? I guess both. So when you talk, when you go into the decision making, that's where things like don't offer them to walk again if you've already successfully offered them to walk again. That's what we would call a compatibility condition, which is a constraint on the cognitive computing algorithm. 
now kind of as far as the the flow of the system we're before that so we're still just trying to build a, a picture of the world in front of us so um so what we do there is um the fusion itself let's say i see that there are three people in front of me um facial recognition says one of them is door okay now somebody said that with you but computer vision doesn't track the lip movements well. I don't know who said LEQ. But the directional microphone is telling me that the person that's 20 degrees left of center is the one that said LEQ, said something, right? So now I can, I can mesh those together and say, okay, well, I know the person on the left-hand side is one of the people that I don't know. There are three people. One of them is Dor. It's not Dor. It's that other person. Um, he said that. You use a probabilistic approach for this where it's, um, I mean, you have like, you get a vector of where the sound probably came from and then you say it's most likely this person and then you proceed with it being them. Is that what you? Exactly. exactly. I use heuristics there, yeah. Um, but then instead of responding and saying, yes, Dora, how can I help you? I will take a safer approach and treat you in an unfamiliar way, right? Um, now, how do we do that over, over time? Essentially, um, we continuously write events into into our system, right? And then when we look at things, for example, um, how many people are here, it's very different. LEQ will act differently if right now for the first time there are three people in front of me versus if that's been going on for, a, for an hour already um, or for a week. I just didn't get a, I never bothered to learn them because nobody introduced me to them. Nobody said to learn their face and so on. But that's a very different situation than somebody just walked in. Somebody just walked in. Maybe she should introduce herself. Maybe she shouldn't introduce herself because it will interrupt people. But that's an event. It's a new event and uh, kind of a present continuous, if you will, of people have been been here for the last two hours. It's becoming steady state. Um, so how much, differently. how much of this um, is yeah. kind of hand-coded logic of social norms and things, different contingent behaviors based on what's happening in the world? And how much of it is kind of model-driven, where you have a model of how the interaction could be and you can adjust based on parameters or number of instances or something like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we so so once we have state, we go to the decision-making, and that's where your question becomes relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, before the decision-making algorithm can do its thing, it goes through a policy. And the policy is where the human um, hard rules, essentially, can filter out what's possible. Uh-huh. For example... A great example of a policy would be don't be proactive after 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Okay. That's a hard policy, right? So that's where the human kind of expert would create rules. Um, another example of a policy might be don't be annoying. Right? So you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to suggest the same thing more than once a day. Okay. And you're not allowed to suggest anything more than once an hour or what have you. Right. Um, although that in itself, and the, the model is really flexible, that we can, in, in those kind of nodes, we can either create a rule or apply learning. We can say, don't be annoying. Don't, be, um, don't offer anything more than you know, X answer of machine learning question right? times a day. Right? But that's kind of a chicken and an egg situation because you need to have enough data to do learning. You need to be able to close the loop tag the data appropriately to do the learning. So we created a framework which allows us to create kind of expert rules in the beginning and then replace them with learning if and when we have the outcome of learning, uh, which is more accurate and relevant for us. Gotcha. Okay, so and in, in that case, 
if you're doing some sort of learning to figure out a parameter, say how many times you can ask them before they're annoyed, how do you get your ground truth? Or how do you get if it was annoying or not? Do you ask them? Yeah, so that's closing the loop, right? So so one of the things, so a lot of things you can do, let's take a, a simpler use case, which is, you know, with your permission, let's go one stack up, one level up the stack, which is how we make a decision. And that and these questions will become like really important for, for that piece. So the policy constrained us, right? It's telling us what we're not allowed to do. Um, but then there are many things we can do. And how do you choose, right? And until now, the way people would do this is they would build an expert system with decision trees. Say, if this, then that, if this, then that, if this, a coin, this or that. Um, the problem is this is really not good for really dynamic situations that you can't guess um, what the truth is. And frankly, in many cases, there's more than one correct answer. And definitely the expert doesn't know, right? <laughs> because this is like the human condition. So instead, what we, we use um, um, an algorithm that we borrowed from another area in consumer science called BDI, Beliefs, Desires, and Intents, which we modified for this, for this use case. And that allows us to create competing goals. So each activity LEQ knows how to do is represented by a goal that when done successfully, it can float up that goal. Um, and um, as long as that goal isn't retired for the day, if allowed, it would really want to run, right? But uh, by the policy, or it had the goal might be, you know, to do something five, to make you smile five times a day, right? So after you smile five times a day, it's already retired. It doesn't want to run anymore today, right? Um, so these goals have activities attached to them, and they compete with each other. And that's the important thing. So you might have a goal that wants to make you laugh. You might have a goal that wants you to learn new things, a goal that wants to keep you active, a goal that wants to make sure you're not embarrassed in front of your friends, a goal that wants to make sure that you're not annoyed at the system. And so obviously they're in healthy competition, and that means that most of the time the one that wins is the do-nothing goal, which is not that the system is idle. The system is making a conscious choice not to do anything right now because that is what won in the competition. Um, and there's obviously like this orchestrator that chooses that specific goal. Um, and there, of course, again, room to apply learning, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely within each of the methods. Can you, um, and actually how you would decide which to choose, but can you give me some intuition on how beliefs, desires, and intents or BDI works? Yeah, it's essentially this uh, goal-based competitive mechanism. So it is the kind of the behavior model that, um, for the framework that drives um, this type of of, uh, of of cognitive computing framework. I mean, yeah. So I mean, more like um, I guess in the implementation, how does it work? Is it um, that you have a bunch of tasks and they kind of replenish? Basically, the probability of doing them over time continues to increase until you do them, and then it decreases. Look, a lot of that is the magic sauce we created in the company that I don't, uh, because, because this algorithm wasn't built for this use case and we had to do a lot of modifications for it. It was actually created for swarms of robots to collaborate with each other around specific goals. Um, so it's, it's, we had to do a lot of changes. Um, there are a lot of uh, tricks and, and kind of math in order to get this right. But at the end of the day, the way you should think of it is um, we want to try to create a holistic day. And there's, we assume there's no one single right answer 
or only one right answer of things the system can do at any given moment. And therefore, you need to figure out a way for you to understand what is possible, to be able to choose the high priority activities, and to make a decision or have kind of like a judge to choose between candidates. And you need to do that in a way that takes into account um, the state, takes into account the expert, and takes into account learning of what's actually working with the user or a cluster of users. And that's what most of our patents are, are on. Actually. I would imagine a reinforcement learning framework would work quite well with this, but then I would have the question, how do you make sure you don't break agency by adjusting things? Yeah, so reinforcement learning we use in the last and final step, <laughs> which is after we made a decision, you now need to decide how to actuate that. So let's say this whole thing, the state and the context and the policy and the competition and the whole thing ran, and finally the system decided to say good morning, right? Now there's a question of how do I say good morning? What words do I use? Where do I look? Oh, you actually are, you're actually optimizing over that kind of action space? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but then um, this is interesting because in reinforcement learning, if you are going to learn a policy for what to do, what it's going to do is basically trace through state space and find a path that it likes. And so, but people are not quite the same as this in that, um, so for example, if you find that every morning they like when you say, good morning, sunshine, or something like this, it's going to lose its effect over time. That one path is not going to be the best one forever. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's why we do it based on what we call meta tags and families of content. So we recreate libraries of interaction. Um, let's say, you know, the funny good morning, okay? Funny good morning for one person and funny good morning for a group of people, and we will create 20 different variations of that. I see. So you're learning about the preferences of the user, Correct. not the... Okay, and then you use that to inform... I see. Correct. You use that to inform which way you'll interact with Correct. them. Correct, and then let's say we found out that you are a humorous guy and you more like the humorous um, um, good morning, then we will be more likely to choose or you like humor in general, we will be more likely to choose the library of context tagged with humor over the ones tagged with, say, endearment for you. And that will be for good morning, but it will also be for good night, and it would also be for music suggestions, et cetera, et cetera. So the thing is, these, these things only work when you have data. So you need to find ways where you can learn enough and capture enough data to make the learning effective and be able to do both exploration and then exploitation Way that will also have a material effect on the experience. Trade that off. Yeah, yeah. But then, how do you establish your ground truth for learning in this case? So, if it's um, if you're learning, if I like humor or something like this, how do you figure out if that was successful? And I do indeed like humor. Yeah. Versus yeah, anything that's else. A previous question you asked as well. So it depends on the it depends on the question we need answered. Some of it is pretty straightforward. Let's put it, let's um, give an example. Let's say LEQ suggests for you to listen to music, <clears throat> and you said yes. Firstly, is that a successful event? Right? Not necessarily, because maybe you said yes, and a second later you turned it off, right? And cursed us. So it was, it was definitely a failed activity. But if you said yes, and you listened to music for a good 20 minutes, and like your head was nodding a little bit, or you were at least in, in the space, we could see you, probably you know, we deserve a job well done. 
right? So, so sometimes your activity will actually guide us if, uh, if the loop is closed successfully or not. Um, sometimes, and again, being a proactive, uh, a proactive entity, we can just ask. And we wrote a bunch of, of patents on the thing we call active learning. So as an agent, we, can, we don't only observe the environment, we can shape the environment. We don't only learn from the data, we can generate data, right? So we just ask, was this good? Did you like that? Was it annoying? Was it funny? Right? Now you can't do that all the time, but you can do that from time to time. Right? How do you know how often? Well, there's a goal that tracks, you know? <laughs> so it all, it all comes together. Okay. Uh, then let's see. For this active learning, it, people are often pretty biased. Like, so survey data, when people are given surveys to fill out, you can't always trust that data, correct? Do you account for this at all in your queries to the user about uh, LEQ's actions? Yeah, I think I think like the white coat syndrome that you're describing is is but it wouldn't is when people are in a survey setting, right? And they try to impress, or they try to, or they might be anxious because of the the situation and so on. But when it comes naturally as part of an interaction and not the twelve question. But like, you know, we're just talking. I'm like, hey, you know, before when I did that, was that okay? Do you like a it? single yeah. question that feels sincere? I doubt we will have too much, um, too much. But no, we don't account for that at the moment. Gotcha. Yeah, I just wonder if the user could have a way of, that they like to project themselves, and it could. Um, but I don't know how you deal with that otherwise. But that's an interesting thing, and I bet you the white coat syndrome is not quite as pronounced with a robot as it is for like a psychology team or any, I don't know, anyone doing anything. Well, no, you know, there's, there's a great book that your audience should read uh, called the man who lied to his laptop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is really funny and actually shows empirically by a Stanford researcher whose name escapes me, but he's super talented and super funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, how actually people do change your tests because they don't want the computer <laughs> to, to think lowly on them. And it's a, it's a wonderful move for anybody that's interested in this field. Gotcha. That sounds very interesting. All right. Uh, so we're going to begin to wrap up now. Would you tell me about, about some of the experiences? Or So what have users, what have older adults thought of LEQ? And do you have any interesting stories? Yeah, many, many. To me, the most surprising thing is when we asked them three months in, Right? There's no more honeymoon period. They're using the product every day for 90 days. Uh, we ask them, what is LEQ? And they say, you know, it's not a person and it's not a device. It's a new entity in our lives. And with that comes feedback that totally makes sense with that prism. They don't want her to be predictable. They don't want her to repeat herself. They want to be surprised by the product. They don't want her... Basically, they see her as this entity that's almost lifelike, right? Um, Which, of course, means that the amount of content we have to create is enormous, and the variety we need to create is enormous, and the freedom we gave the algorithm is much larger than we thought we will because they want it to be non-predictable. The second thing is about proactivity. You know, none of us really have experienced a machine that starts talking to you randomly. 
I was really, really worried about that. Um, and it turns out that it's actually really well received. Um, the interaction scores are through the roof, comparably to any kind of personal assistant or anything like that, and like many, many usages on average per day. Um, so to me, that was the surprising thing, you know, because as, as technologists and product people, we're really focused on, does the flow around music selection, is it good? Is it too many steps? Or is the font large enough? Is the music selection well? Did we order it correctly? Is the intent the NLP will return to us accurate? You know, stuff like that. And what we're hearing back is less about the feature and more about the entity, the overall feeling, how it feels like to live with this thing day in and day out. Um, to me, that's like a whole brave new world that I'm really excited to see. Thank you. And that's all for today. You can find more information and all our past episodes on our website at robohub.org forward slash podcast. And don't forget, if you have any feedback for us, any comments about our episodes or questions about the podcast, don't be shy and get in touch. Our president, Audro, is always happy to hear from you. You can email him directly at audro.nash at robohub.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Care with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.